Just scope in your civilian wardrobe. Pretty cool, huh? For a fashion victim. Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. That's a very serious book, man. Only five in existence. Four, actually. I'm always looking out for the other three. Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori the Morris hasn't even been introduced. Where the hell are you from? Krypton? Phoenix, actually. But lucky me, we moved here. While he was there, the doctors gave him a sex change, and our parents' taxes paid for it. Hey, what's up, truck nuts? What's up, dickholes? Welcome. What is this? Episode 5, Season 2 of the podcast. Listen, I'm going to be real with you. Uh, those first four episodes were recorded over, like, just kind of... Whenever I felt like doing one, doing a podcast over the, like, year hiatus. And so they feel pretty, pretty disjointed to me. They feel like maybe not the most compelling content that said, who the fuck am I to judge? I just make this shit, you tell me, or don't, because... I don't even know if you exist in this timeline. I mean, I guess I assume that you exist in this timeline, but um, sort of wondering whether this is the same timeline as season one. Anyway, the 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 payoff. I feel like I keep using the word, the phrase, the upshot. The upshot is that I don't even know if that's a real phrase or if that's a thing people say. The upshot, the takeaway is, dude, let's get back to basics. Let's quit fucking around. Let's quit. You know what I mean? Describing really convoluted things in really convoluted ways. That's not fair. Not convoluted. Describing really kind of complex things in convoluted ways. Now let's get back to the shit that this podcast does correctly, which is to appreciate classic films such as The Lost Boys, 1987, I want to say. Um, dude, this is... This is like... This is... It doesn't get much more classic than this. Fucking, have you seen this movie? I was talking to somebody recently who hadn't seen it. One of the ghosts at the mall. Um, and I was like, what, really? There are people who haven't seen this movie. And it turns out this is not widely considered to be a classic film that everybody needs to see. Um, and yet, it is a classic film that everybody needs to see. It's fucking, uh, it's a vampire movie, right? Um, here's the thing about the Lost Boys. Uh, Vampires are supposed to be the sexy monster, right? Like, they're scary, but they're also supposed to be sexy. I feel like I almost never get that from vampires and vampire movies. Um, I feel like I read all the, like, Anne Rice books when I was a kid, and I guess I was into them. I think there were, like, five of them when I stopped, and, like, Lestat had gone on to meet God, and it was, like, it's fine. I, I, I could reread those. That would be interesting, but, you know, maybe there was some sexy stuff there, but, like, this movie, dude, this is, I, I get it in this movie. The the core vampires in the movie are these four, like, 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 I'm like getting flushed even thinking about it. They're these four boys, they like are vampires. They're not boys, they're like teenagers or maybe young men, but they're like, uh, if, if, I feel like last season I was talking about Prince and 
the revolution as like the coolest looking motherfuckers who ever existed. I feel like they're sort of the West Coast version of that from maybe a couple years later. Um, they're all like big, like poofy mullets and they're like rocker dudes and they like never sleep and then they fucking, uh, I don't know, they like vamp out, you know what I mean? And it's the story of a mom and two sons have just divorced the, the dad of their family and left somewhere in Arizona. I forget where in Arizona they were. And they go to Santa Carla, California, um, which apparently is modeled on some town in California that actually exists, but Santa Carla isn't real. I've had my location on my Twitter profile say that my location was Santa Carla for probably a few years now. Um, maybe there's a timeline or dimension in which I'm still in Santa Carla, California. Maybe there's a timeline in which I am a vampire who, like, gets to hang out with the, like, foxy vampire boys in The Lost Boys and just, like, like, what do they say? Uh, sleep all day, party all night, never die, something, I don't know, there's a quote. Um, so, okay, so the family moves to California and there's, like, the younger brother and the teen, the older brother. One is, like, I don't know, probably, like, 15, one is, like, 18 or 19 or something. Um, the younger one is Sam, the older one is Michael, and, uh, fuck, man, how to, how to even tell you about this? Um, I mean, I guess I can just, like, walk you through it. Um, the fucking, I'm gonna find my notes, too, because I took a bunch of notes, because there's a lot of important stuff to talk about. Um, okay, so, the mom was in some show that I watched as a kid, and they go to her dad's house, so there's a real, like, strong, like, family theme happening, right? They go to her dad's house, and, and the 15-year-old is, like, kind of, like, a cool dude. He's played by, uh, Corey Haim. Both Corys are in this movie, both Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Um, Corey Haim is, like, a cool kid. He's got, like, his, like, 80s, like, oversized, like, pastel blazer with the, the sleeves rolled up to his elbows, and he's, like, kind of, like, cruising around the boardwalk, like, trying to figure out, like, what's cool in this town. He winds up at a comic book store, and the older one is the, like, kind of, like, um, Patrick, his name is Michael, he's like, Patrick Bateman, I think is the actor, and he's got the, like, Jim Morrison hair, and like, the Jim Morrison look, and look, I'm like, not that interested in Jim Morrison, I feel like the doors are kind of for people who are in seventh grade, but I get it when I look at Patrick Bateman as Michael in The Lost Boys, I'm like, okay, yeah, um, he's like, big one, he has like, a motorcycle dirt bike, and, um, like, the younger brother's looking for comic books when they go to the boardwalk, but he's, like, um, he's looking for a job. He's like, yo, man, is there any work around here? Um, so they're driving up, and they're establishing some generation gap stuff, right? By the way, they're scanning through the radio. Um, Michael and Sam are both kind of like, we want to listen to cool rock from now, and the mom is like, no, I want to listen to stuff from my generation, and then what they wind up settling on is actually a fucking cover of People Are Strange by The Doors by Echo and the Bunnymen, who is a band that I feel like I would probably like if I paid attention to. I've been hearing the name for forever, but I think this is the only song I really know by them, and honestly, it's, you know, it's, The Doors are not my thing, but Echo and the Bunnymen doing The Doors is cool. So they settle on that, and it's like atmospheric, it's kind of grim, and as, as People Are Strange by Echo and the Bunnymen play, there's like a montage of like, look at this town we're moving to, look at fucking Santa Carla. It's like, 
boardwalk and there are like punkers like dumpstering food and there's like people with face piercings I feel like a guy with like a lizard on his shoulder um, it's this like incredible montage of just like look at all the scary weirdos who are here which unfortunately also features just like a shot of some Mexican dudes hanging out as if I mean not as if we know what that signifies right like look at this other thing that is you know scary in the eyes of the people producing this montage let's acknowledge that and be bummed by it but you know um anyway the montage ends with um maybe it doesn't end but it, they wind up going by a, a fucking uh a billboard and on the back of the billboard as they walk they drive by it says murder capital of the world is like spray painted on it in two different colors uh, and so they get to Grandpa's house and like Grandpa, he lives in this big like cool sprawling like ramshackle cabin situation um, with hella taxidermy everywhere. He's a fucking taxidermist, which is I guess like kind of creepy. Um, and wait, this isn't even the opening. I just I already forgot. I took so many notes, dude. I'm just flipping through this shit right now. I'm gonna try to keep this episode of the podcast not too long but good luck I also dude one thing about living in an abandoned shopping mall is the more you dig around and like bang out the not bang out but like smash up the fucking grates that they put down to keep you out of the stores is that sometimes you find like a stash of the purple like monster energy drinks and I am halfway through one so like I said trying to trying to turn it around from the first couple episodes which felt low energy to me this season uh, what happens? Grandpa playing dead? What does that mean? Yeah, dude, okay, so I feel like, you know, again, a big part of this is me having feelings attached to this shit because it came out when I was eight, and I have no idea when I first saw this movie, but it was definitely, like, formative adolescent times, and, like, possibly even confusing, like, now it, I'm an, I'm an adolescent or teenager, and, like, uh, grunge music is rejecting the sort of aesthetic of the Lost Boys to an extent because everybody's supposed to be wearing white t-shirts and uh, really like performing humility but um, it, it just it feels fucking timeless I've talked about this thing before of like the stuff that comes out when you're a kid just feels like that's what the world is always like and then from there like it seems like new stuff is coming out um, what was I saying oh so yeah so the music right um, fucking Echo and the Bunnymen people are strange, sounds great and cool and atmospheric, but the, the theme of the movie is this song called Cry Little Sister by some dude, um, and I would play it for you on the podcast, except that on its own, it doesn't sound as cool, like, I've tried to get stoked by listening to that song, but it's kind of just a song, and it, like, drags in parts, but what they do, because it's the theme of the movie, and so I guess they probably, like, wrote it for the movie, is that, uh, they um like it's got part of it is this like children's chorus singing like thou shalt not kill or something and there's like a wailing like metal dude wailing about feelings and then there's like atmospheric cool keyboards and huge like slow loud drums it's so rad and they'll play like just the like children's singing part or just the uh you know the keys or whatever the movie fucking it opens with the vampires on the boardwalk um you don't know they're vampires yet, but like you're probably aware that you're in for a vampire movie, so it's fucking 
what's the main vampire guy? There's David, who is played by Kiefer Sutherland in a role that made me disappointed in every other role Kiefer Sutherland has ever played, I think. Like, David, the vampire, is kind of like, he's not like smirking like a goofball, but he just like seems like more aware of what's going on than anybody else, and he's not letting people on in. He's not letting people in. Um, and then uh, the only other of the four vampires that I know is fucking, uh, what's his name? Bill Winters, I think, who played... No, it's not Bill Winters, it's Alex Winters, who played Bill in Bill and Ted. And, like, that's a that's a classic film we should get to, because the thing about Bill and Ted that makes it a classic film is that it it's about these two, like, enthusiastic idiots, and it feels like it was written by those two enthusiastic idiots in a way, so, like, what happens and the way that it happens is super consistent and, and charming. Um, he's not playing Bill from Bill and Ted in this movie. I don't think he even really gets to talk that much, but... Um, he's definitely Alex Winters, Alex Winter, Alex Winters, unclear, um, whether it's plural, but they're like, okay, so it's like, it's like nighttime on the boardwalk, and I, I grew up in, like, a place where we had a boardwalk. You know, I've talked before about growing up in New Jersey, and I didn't grow up near the boardwalk, but we would go there sometimes, and the boardwalk just feels like this, like, powerful like teenage emotion place where like you go with your friends and then you're like free from your parents but also like scumbags might show up and like be assholes and I feel like maybe I've told the story before of going to the county fair and that kid sold me a tape of like Nirvana b-sides before there was a Nirvana b-sides compilation and then it turned out to be a blank tape and I got fucked for five dollars like that's the sort of thing that could happen at the boardwalk um, but it opens and they're on the, uh, there's like a, a merry-go-round and there's people going around on the merry-go-round and then the, the fucking titular lost boys show up and start fucking with those people and if you look at the screenplay of the movie, it says that the, the titular lost boys are fucking with some surf Nazis, which is kind of funny because there's another classic film called Surf Nazis Must Die that I think is a trauma movie, and it's hard because trauma, trauma being a film studio that produced a lot of like the trash films, the trash classics, the classic, the classic trash. I feel like I drank too much purple monster energy drink, dude. Um, the problem with revisiting trauma as an adult is that a lot of it is just so much more like racist and sexist and homophobic and just like kind of unforgivable than I noticed when I was younger, but it's sort of, uh, no, it's not even similar to Bill and Ted, but, like, there was always an enthusiasm in ho about how stupid they were being that made that shit compelling, um, but between the, the surf Nazis in The Lost Boys and the surf Nazis in Surf Nazis Must Die, like, I wonder, I guess I, I could research this, but it seems like surf Nazis were a real problem in the mid-80s, um, which is funny. It's like they just don't seem like like subcultures or like interests that would go together. But, you know, I'm no expert on surf Nazis. Anyway, the upshot, the takeaway is that the movie opens with the vampires kind of having a scuffle with the, uh, the surf Nazis on a merry-go-round and then the, the, um, the security guard, the like kind of like uncool security guard is like, all right, boys, I thought I told you not to come on this boardwalk anymore. And uh, David, the, the 
parrot head of the vampire boys. He's like, all right, boys, let's get out of here. And he like, he's like agreeing with the, to do what the authority figure says, but not in a like, I'm like gonna just like not acknowledge that. Also, fuck you. You know what I mean? He's like, he just, he seems so cool even when he's agreeing to leave the boardwalk because the security guard told him to. And then, um, probably somebody's written about this, but you, you don't see, they can fly, the vampires fly. Um, but we don't really see them flying except for at one point towards the end. Um, but instead you get like a POV shot. The next thing is a POV shot like following the security guard to his car in the parking lot where they kill him. Um, and you know, it's not really that gory either. It's like, I feel like I'm describing it as kind of an annoyingly goth thing, but um, it's not really gory. It's not like trash in the way that a lot of trash is. I don't even know if this movie, this movie may not be trash. This movie might be, God, what are we like 10 minutes into it and I haven't even said anything yet? You guys, my truck nuts and my dick holes. I love this movie and I just, I want to talk about it forever. Um, you don't know that it's them because it's point of view, so they kill the security guard, and then um, we that's then we cut to uh, Sam and uh, Michael and Lucy, their mom, in the car. We get the montage of Santa Carla, and they get to the grandfather's house, and he's dead on the floor. And they're like, "What the fuck, Grandpa? Are you dead?" And he's like, "Nah, I was just playing dead," which I think is really kind of like introducing or reinforcing a theme of like death not death, like faux death, or a state of living death, as we are often uh, want to describe a vampire. Um, although, I don't think their grandpa is a vampire. No, we see him in the day a lot. He, like, um, I'm pretty sure he's not a vampire. I don't know. If somebody has a theory that the, the, that the grandpa in this movie is a vampire, I'm interested, but I don't think I have that theory. Um, so... They go there, the grandpa's weird, they're like, uh, there's no TV, that means there's no MTV, because they're like cool teens. Um, uh, what happens? The grandpa is like, you're the only woman I ever knew who didn't improve her station by getting divorced. Which sort of really like, it's just like the structure, right? So she's gonna need to get a job, right? So, um, her motivation for getting a job. She winds up getting a job at a video store, which again is on the boardwalk. It seems like Santa Carla is mostly just like the boardwalk and the beaches. And then there's like some stuff under the boardwalk and the beaches and then grandpa's house. Maybe we see Max's house too. Um, Max, who I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, he's got lots of taxidermy in the house. There's a lot of really endearing physical contact between the two brothers, between Sam and Michael. It's really like, they just like hug each other in a way that I think is incredible. Um, Grandpa has weed plants outside the window and they kind of goof on that. Um, and then, okay, so we're like, what? We're a few minutes into the movie already. We get another fucking iconic scene where um, Michael and Sam go to the boardwalk and they're watching this band perform and I forget what the band is called. It might just be this dude. There's this dude who's like super buff and muscular and he's got this like kind of like slicked back blonde mullet and like no shirt on but probably a necklace and like probably some like leggings or like spandex like tights and he's playing this song and when he's like 
singing about how I still believe, like, I still believe, and he's, he's wailing on a saxophone, and it's just, like, it's so incredible. Um, and so Michael and Sam are there, and they're watching, and then this girl makes eye contact with Michael, and then he's like, I don't know, and Sam is like, this is dumb, I don't care about your, like, heterosexual bullshit, and so he goes to the comic book store, but then Michael, um, winds up like kind of connecting with this girl and her name is Star and she's got this kid with her named Laddie um, and Michael and Star are kind of Michael's like I was thinking about getting my ear pierced and Star's like don't pay somebody to pierce your ear I could do it for you and they're like having some flirting um, and then fucking David and the rest of the titular Lost Boys show up and they like they're like you should come ride with us like he's like you, you know how far are you willing to go, Michael? Like, let's do motorcycle times on the beach. And Michael's like, my bike, like, I can't beat your bike. Like, he knows that he's got a humble dirt bike motorcycle and that David probably has a better one. And David is like, you don't have to beat me, Michael. You just have to keep up. And it's so, like, dude, the sexual tension between Michael and David is just so phenomenal for me. I can't get enough of it um and it's not like part of me wants to be like this movie is super duper gay right like this is the gayest movie and I don't really think it is and like a lot of movies that we fall in love with because of their like gay uh like like gay feeling texture or like gay um subtext or whatever um it winds up sort of being a tale of heterosexual masculinity conquering the stuff that like we actually love in this movie like spoiler alert for the lost boys but he doesn't end up with david um so like on that level it ultimately winds up not being super fulfilling but there's this thing going on where like i feel like the director joel schumacher is gay and he would go on to make much campier stuff but often when we think about a movie being really gay i think about it being kind of campy and there's like this movie does not scan as campy at all to me, which I think part of is what makes it such a classic for me. Like, it's just, it's just all killer, no filler, dude. Like, there's no goofing around. Um, maybe if you were coming to it without having seen it as a teenager and stuff, it would feel like maybe there was some filler, but for me, it's just, it's, it's fucking, it's all killer. And I think Joel Schumacher is gay. I don't know, um, if the person who wrote this movie is gay, uh, but there's like the tension like the tension in this movie feels pretty gay to me in a way that I fucking love I can't get enough of it so um they wind up riding their motorcycles on the beach and there's like uh, it feels like the way that David is kind of like having a like twinkly eyed challenge to Michael all the time is really like flirty um and the way that Michael is like kind of intimidated by him but also like intrigued just feels like really like like kind of hot to me too I don't know um so that happens right and I'll get to what happens with that because I think I might be going out of order but in the meantime we see Lucy their mom going to the video store to get a job because they have a help wanted sign and there's like a kid crying outside the video store so she's like oh come with me let me help you I'll be like maternal towards you uh and Max who is the owner of the video store, who is this, like, cool 80s dude as well. He's really tall, and I think 
he might dress a little bit like Sam, actually, the, the Corey Haim character, in his, like, cool 80s pastel, like, blazers that maybe he even rolls them up to his elbows, too. But he's the owner of the video store, and he's like, ah, Lucy, like, I see you, like, helping that child. I want you to come work at my video store. And she winds up getting that job, and they wind up striking up a romance. But right now, we kind of just see them start to establish that relationship. Meanwhile, fucking... Sam, the Corey Haim character, has one of the most iconic scenes in film when he goes to the comic book store. He's like looking through the comics, um, and these two fucking dudes start like kind of following him in the comic book store. And the two dudes, I don't know the one dude's name, he may have gone on to do other stuff, but the other of the two dudes is Corey Feldman. So you've got both Corys in this movie Corey Feldman and other dude. Uh, introduce themselves as Edgar and Alan Frog. Um, they're the Frog Brothers, and they're s- sort of like, check out your like civilian clothes, whatever. I, maybe I've recorded it. Maybe I'll play you their their initial interaction. Uh, it's it's come to my attention that the sound clip that I wanted to play here was actually um that I used it for for the opening, and so right now. I'm actually walking back from... Okay, a weird thing happened. I got to the mall after, you know, I've been gone for like five or six hours. I recorded the podcast. I came back and uh, fucking... You have your entrance to the mall, right? It's the entrance that you usually will go in. And the entrance that I usually use, it was like, it's fucked up, dude. I don't know how they built this over the course of like six hours, but it was, like, all, like, it was, like, it was all, like, cemented over with, like, fucking, like, sticks and rubble and, like, phlegm or, like, some other kind of gross thing. Just the whole entrance to the fucking mall was built over, and it's this, like, organic mass of, not organic, I mean, it was, like, part organic, part, like, slime built into it, and so... I wound up having to go and smash out another entrance, which is fine. I'm always happy to smash out a fucking entrance of the mall, but um, I wound up going in the next one over. I walk through the mall, middle of the fucking night. It's always scary in there because, you know, we've got the solar panels set up on top, but you don't want to just, like, leave the lights on all night. And so it's dark. There's just, like, those, like, red emergency lights, even though... I don't think the alarm system works. I'm walking back fucking from that right now. Turns out what they had built, I don't know what it was. It's some kind of like nest that I guess it's like a ghost nest. I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe it's not phlegm. Maybe it's like, what is it? Psychoplasm or ectoplasm? Um, shit is fucking weird. They're like, dude, like, check out your civilian wardrobe. And he's like, pretty cool, right? And then uh, Sam goes on to establish his, like, knowing shit about comic books, knowledge, and they're impressed, but they're still like, you're not cool. You're not from Santa Clara. You look like a fucking hipster. Um, and uh, they, they're like, you got to read this horror comic. And he's like, I don't like horror comics. And they're like, you'll like this one because it might save your life. And they give him a comic about vampires. And, uh, you know, it feels a little bit even like how the fuck do 15-year-olds make friends with each other, 
right? Especially 15-year-old boys, um, especially, uh, uh, I wanted to be like especially a 15-year-old boy like Sam who is so clearly like coded as gay. Um, but he's not really coded as gay. It's, it's a little bit subtextual, this stuff that makes you think that Sam is gay. Anyway, um, maybe it's not super subtextual. Maybe it's just a little bit subtle and not overt. Like, he doesn't walk around, like, really, like, giving off gay signifiers. He does it more, like, when he's in private. Uh, which maybe actually is another thing that feels resonant to me. Anyway, um, fucking the Frog Brothers, they introduce themselves to him, and it's awesome, and they're, like fight for the American way or whatever and then um, the motorcycle so back to the motorcycle chase on the beach it's like really beautiful and atmospheric the way it's shot it's kind of incredible and there's like cool like yearning music playing and they almost like make Michael ride off a cliff into the ocean and die but he catches himself just in time and he like falls off his bike and he's like just you man I just want to fight you to David and David's like yeah like I like your attitude like come hang out with us and so they turns out they live in a hotel that fell into maybe like a hole in the ground in an earthquake a hundred years ago or 80 years ago from when this movie was made or whatever um and it's like all beautiful and cool like atmospheric teen hangout with a big Jim Morrison poster on the on the wall signifying maybe that they're just like deep into like uh boardwalk head shop culture or something um they go down and like dude I just like I, I can't emphasize enough how cool everybody looks they've got these like kind of like Sergeant Pepper jackets that like with the epaulets epaulets I don't know how you say that but with like that shit some of them and like but they're like like lived in and worn they're just like everybody looks so cool and they're down there in their cool like cave that used to be a hotel and there's another iconic scene where David does some like weird mind control shit to Michael where they're like let's eat Chinese food and they eat Chinese food but he's like how are your maggots Michael and he looks in the Chinese in the the box of rice and it's maggots instead of rice but then he's like what's wrong it's just rice and he's like it's maggots and then he does a thing where he's like how's your low mein Michael it's worms you're eating worms how do they taste and Michael's like Ugh, I don't want to eat worms and then he eats some of the low mein and it's just low mein so they're doing I guess they don't really follow up with the vampire mind trick powers that much after that um, maybe that's a reference to Dracula. I don't think I've ever actually seen or read Dracula, but maybe that's a thing that Dracula likes to do, too. Um, anyway, uh, Michael kind of sticks around, because I think because he's partly because he's intimidated and, like, partly because he's intrigued. And they wind up drinking blood from a bottle, and he's like, try some of this, Michael. And Michael drinks some of the blood, and then it makes him into kind of a half-vampire which, um, I guess I can just tell you now, like, the idea is you become a half vampire, and then when you feed on, like, a live person's blood, then you become a whole vampire, and so, like, what's ultimately gonna happen is that they're gonna have to kill the, the head vampire so that the half vampires can turn back to non-vampires, um, oh, they smoke weed, too, that's nice, um, and yeah, Michael drinks from it, and then is that the time when they fall off the fucking bridge or whatever? Or maybe it's the next time. Um, uh, maybe this time, maybe another time. They all like go have an adventure where they're like 
they go on a high bridge and then they jump down the bridge and Michael's like why the fuck are you jumping off this bridge you're gonna die but then it turns out they're just holding on under the bridge under the bridge and then a train comes and they all drop and disappear and Michael is terrified because he's like I don't want to die and there's just fog underneath but I'm pretty sure I'm gonna die if I fall but then he ends up having to let go and then he wakes up like sprawled across his bed and it's pretty cool um he slept kind of all day and he has to wear sunglasses now because he's a half vampire only he doesn't know it he didn't mean to become a vampire he doesn't know that anybody's a vampire yet he just thinks that these are some like cool teens um anyway next we see uh sam in his room and this is one of the like classic like gay coded scenes from this movie he's in his room and on his closet uh, he has a picture of like some like sexy man in a half shirt um, and then maybe I recorded this too maybe I'll just play you this scene 10 o'clock lights out did you brush your teeth? uh-huh okay night night sweetheart mom uh-huh um sorry you know I can never sleep with a closet door open either not even a crack Sam, this is a terrible thing to admit, but I think that um, one of the reasons I divorced your father was because he never believed in the closet monster. <laughs> Dad. <laughs> Dad, you shouldn't sneak up on people like that. Roger, something to dress up your room with, Sam. So what you would have missed if you hadn't been watching the scene, if you'd just been listening to it, is that his mom is like, your dad never believed in the closet monster and like he's got this like naked man or like half naked man on the front of his closet and then his grandpa comes in and gives him a fucking taxidermy beaver which he's terrified of and like admittedly who metaphors aside who would not be terrified of a fucking taxidermy beaver but in the context of beaver being slang for vagina and vagina being slang for woman like it's clearly some code for this person is having some sexuality stuff. Um, wow, what is this place that I'm driving by? That's fucking rad. I don't know what that is. Um, it's just like an old building that said Hollywood on it, but I don't think it's like a Hollywood, California. But anyway, um, it's kind of a weird, funny scene about the closet monster. And then um, what winds up happening? Oops. Uh, right, the maggot shit and the beaver. I think they stashed the taxidermied beaver inside the closet behind the half shirt guy poster, which is also probably dense with metaphor. Um, I have a note that says I'm gonna get a tattoo that says Cry Little Sister because that song probably plays again and I really liked it because I like the way that it feels. Um, Star, oh yeah, that girl Star who's like part of the vampire crew who David had been making googly eyes with at the uh, saxophone man concert she's like David don't do it don't drink the blood when he's gonna drink the blood from Michael's bottle but he's like I'm a tough guy I can drink the blood um <laughs> what it says Michael's sex face face is superimposed I think they're all just making like very like uh, brooding faces and they're superimposed over each other as they're all fucked up on weed and uh, vampire blood and then they drop off the bridge and then there's a train Oh, I was wondering, so if this movie came out in 1987 and it was made by a gay man, um, 
wondering how much of like vampire stuff and that being equated to danger uh, is like um, like sort of AIDS metaphor. And I don't really know. Like, it doesn't feel like a super overt AIDS metaphor. My sense is that this isn't like an AIDS movie, like a thinly veiled AIDS movie. But I do wonder um, whether some of the like danger that is kind of sexy about these vampires also functions as that, especially when you're like drinking blood. You know what I mean? But I, I don't feel like my history of AIDS is sharp enough to be like, here's how much I think that is likely in 1987 when this movie came out. But it's something that I was thinking about because Michael is totally, these are like, these folks feel super dangerous, right? They almost kill him by throwing him off a, a cliff and then they're like climbing on this bridge and dropping off like to fucking die, but they're not dying probably. I, I imagine like there's a thing there. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of his like being attracted to these vampires, but also not wanting to be a vampire, but also like wanting to be a normal guy who you know what I mean? Like, just not wanting to die and not wanting this danger to fuck him up. Like, feels very much to me like like adolescent, teenage sexuality. Um, when that sexuality feels dangerous, um, I don't know. I think, I think it's fascinating. I think it is one of the things that, like, resonates on a deep level that I think is really powerful. Just that, like, kind of fear of being a bad kid, but bad kid being correlated with sexuality rather than, like, you know, getting in trouble type behavior, whatever. Anyway, uh, mom goes on a date with Max, uh, the video store owner, and or wait, she wants to go on a date with him. They go to a restaurant, but at home, since Michael is ha- a half vampire now, he starts like he like floats up to the ceiling, and he doesn't want to. And then he like floats out the window, and then he doesn't want to, but he doesn't know how to control his like floating powers, I guess, and. Uh, is this the part? I think this is the part where what's happening? They like the <laughs> the fucking grandpa is like, do we have any aftershave in this house? And Sam is like, look, we've got Windex <laughs> to kind of fuck with his grandpa. But his grandpa's like, ooh, that smells nice. And he uses Windex for uh, aftershave because he's going to have a date with the widow Johnson. Um, and then he goes out, so I think he's gone and the mom is gone, so it's just Sam and Michael at home when Michael is like vamping out and being terrifying. And then, uh, is this the one? I think there's like flying motorcycles outside the house, like shining their lights into the, the house, like kind of terrifyingly too. And I was thinking about that as a way that like kind of like living a homosexual lifestyle is like threatening to the all-American family. You know what I mean? Like family unit. And it's even infiltrating the family unit because it's like Michael and Sam. And we see that because there's another, yet another fucking iconic scene in this movie where, where Sam is in the bathtub and he's like washing up his hair and he's like wailing along in like kind of a high voice to some like old like sounds like uh I don't know I'm no I'm no musicologist but it sounds like um what's that music from Detroit from like the 60s um like some not Motown maybe music from Detroit is wrong it sounds like that kind of like proto Motown stuff maybe it's just like old sounds like old pop music and he's like singing along in a very kind of like uh a way that does not scan as hyper masculine you know what I mean? He's in the bathtub with his dog, and then Michael comes up, and I think he, like, spills some milk on the ground, which feels like another, like, this is a t- an attack on wholesome American family whatever. Michael, like, goes to drink some milk, but then he throws it on the ground, maybe because it was bad, maybe just because he's a vampire now and all he can eat is blood. 
I think he gets his hand cut, and then I think he's like gonna go up. No, he doesn't get his hand cut yet. He like spills the milk because he can't eat food, and so I think the implication is that all he can eat is blood, and so he's gonna go like kill his brother and eat his blood, but he tries to go up there, and the dog, Nanook, like attacks him instead and saves fucking Sam from being killed by Michael, and then Michael realizes, like, oh shit, I shouldn't like vamp out and kill my brother, and so. I think then the motorcycles show up outside the house and they're flying and shooting light into it and um, they kind of like cuddle down again. Not cuddle, that's probably too strong a word, but I think Michael is like kind of hugging Sam protectively uh, as this stuff passes. But in the meantime, like Sam has been freaking out and he calls the restaurant where his mom is and he makes her come home because he's like screaming about how his brother is going to kill him and he wrecks that date and then... um, uh, the date is ruined and the mom comes home and she comes home and they've already like reconciled and Michael is like uh, not vamping out to kill Sam anymore um, she's kind of pissed because she had been stoked to go on a date by the way Max the fucking cool 80s guy who's really tall who uh, she's on a date with is the fucking grandpa in the Gilmore Girls which blew my mind I didn't even know like I never really watched the Gilmore Girls that's not fair um, I've seen a lot of Gilmore Girls. Um, I've never, like, really, like, put it on to be like, I'm gonna watch this, but, um, I've seen a lot of it because, uh, God. You know, it's, it's funny if I may break the fourth wall for a moment and, and peep into the, uh, another timeline or dimension. Um, and I never know how to talk about my, my IRL partner of like a million years on this podcast and I always forget to ask her like is it okay to pretend that you're a ghost or like is it okay to pretend that you're um I don't even know I guess ghosts are the main go-to right now but uh she has just like watched Halle Gilmore Girls all the time and I feel like I've been in the room while she was watching it so many times that I know every episode but um yeah dude fucking Max from uh the, the Lost Boys, the, the video store owner and romantic interest for their mom is fucking grandpa on the Gilmore Girls and he looks like a billion years younger and he's only like probably like 10, 15 years younger from when that show started, right? But he's like a grandpa in that one and he's just like dad age in this one. Oh man, maybe that's the one that I should fucking try to do on uh, dad feelings. I keep trying to think of something I could propose to Merit to do on dad feelings in the other timeline, but maybe that would be a good one. I'm, oh fuck, that's a great thought. Cause I don't know that much about dads. It's like not really my thing, you know? And, and all the ones that I think of like Calvin's dad or fucking Bob from Bob's Burgers have been done. Um, just gonna tuck that idea away for now. Um, Maybe I'm just going to blow through all my material on this fucking podcast anyway. Uh, She has to end the date. She comes back the next day. She, like, goes to try to apologize to him at his house, but instead his dog, Thorn, almost kills her. And so she has to run away, and then, like, she, like, has to, like, do, like, a Fosbury flop over the gate of his house, and then the dog starts, like, trying to break through the gate to kill her. Um, Sam calls the Frog Brothers. Sam calls the Frog Brothers to come help out. They're like, we're gonna kill your brother. Um, he's like, no, I don't want that. What the fuck? This is not the order that I remember things happening. I have in capital letters, Michael fucks Star. I don't remember Michael fucking Star now, but I guess that happened. I guess he goes to meet up with her and he's like, what's happening to me, happening to me, Star? Like, why is everything fucked up? And then I guess they have sex and, um, 
what I wrote down in my note was like, this is where the sexuality stuff gets kind of muddy because there's clearly like sexual tension between Michael and the vampires, but there's also sexual tension between Michael and Star. But again, I don't know that she necessarily represents like normative family, like heterosexuality stuff in the way that I'm suggesting his sexual attraction to the vampires threatens. I, like, I don't know if it's that simple. The whole thing feels a little bit muddy, but again, it feels a little bit muddy and scary in a way that feels really consistent with teenage sexuality to me, at least my own experience of it, and being like, I don't know what I can, like, articulate and what I can't. Like, I don't know what actually is true and what isn't. I know this is kind of confusing, like, um, and I don't think, like, Michael makes it explicit at any point that there's sexual tension between him and other dudes. Like, I think officially he's a straight dude the whole time, but I think part of where a lot of the narrative tension comes from is really, like, for me anyway, is that sense of, like, there's, this is, this is kind of gay stuff. Um, plus, like, David has been kind of possessive of her in a way that just, like, all that stuff feels a little bit, like, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's very compelling, and the muddledness, I think, is part of what makes it feels feel real. I guess David fucked Star. No, sorry, Michael fucked Star. Um, I guess hey, what I should say is they fucked each other. Meanwhile, Grandpa and the Widow Johnson fucked each other while he smelled like Windex. Um, Max's dog stuff happens. Um, he meets with the Frog Brothers again, and they talk more about, like, killing vampires, and they have a lot more, like, bravado, like, tough guy shit. They're wearing all, like, camouflage and, like, bandanas, and they have, like, probably, like, crossbows and shit. Um, they t they're, like, 15, but they take their vampire killing shit really seriously, apparently. Although, also, if they're from this town, and they know about the vampires, and they think, consider themselves, like, vampire hunters, and they, like, uh, you know, take the shit seriously, like, you'd think that vampires would just kill them, but the vampires seem to be unaware of them, so a lot of it seems to be like posturing also reading into this movie laddie is also the the kid that hangs out with stars also like he's like prepubescent he's what like 10 and he's also a half vampire but this movie does not even slightly engage with the sort of ethical uh ramifications of child vampires like i think that was the thing they talked about in uh interview with the vampire there was one maybe it was kirsten dunst but uh, we're not interested in really like getting into that shit in this movie. We don't have time. We're not, you know, sucks for you, laddie, but your only hope is really just that we kill the head vampire so that we can just resolve these concerns. So, uh, okay. Uh, Lucy invites Max over to dinner to apologize, to make up for it, but Sam has the Frog Brothers over for dinner, and so they're gonna like try to like prove that he's a vampire by like throwing holy water on him and putting garlic at him and stuff but what they don't know is that while michael is on his way out the door fucking uh max is like well if you're you're michael i've heard about you like if you're the man of the house i'm not going to come in until you invite me in and he's like you're invited in um and max is like thank you and you know everybody knows what happens if you invite a fucking vampire into your house and like I guess Michael's got other shit on his mind, so he's not even thinking that Mike, Max might be a vampire, but um, they do all their, like, vampire test shit to him. They, like, they, you know, they're just fucking up this relationship for their mom. Um, I guess for his mom, because Michael's not there and the Frog Brothers are not uh, the children of Lucy. But, <coughs> yeah, they try to be like, you're a vampire, you hate garlic, huh? And he's like, no, I like garlic, dummy. Um, 
Edgar and Alan Frog. Uh, I have a note that says Max has vampire characteristics. I'm not sure what that was supposed to mean. There's a scene or there's a part in there where like the Corey Feldman as one of the Frog Brothers. I don't know which one is Edgar and which one is Alan, but Corey Feldman is just like sitting next to Max and like these guys like his nose like two inches away from Max, like staring very intently to see his reaction to garlic or whatever. Um, Meanwhile, I guess after Star and Michael bone, they go out and then this is the time where like they go to a bonfire at the beach. Like maybe Star isn't even there. Maybe it's just uh, the four like titular Lost Boys and Michael all go to this bonfire that's happening on the beach. And again, these are, I think, either the same surf Nazis or different surf Nazis, but they're all like getting wasted around a bonfire. and. They're listening to the Walk This Way that Run DMC recorded with Aerosmith. And, like, you know, in my experience, which admittedly is not super extensive, but I have some, in my experience, like, folks who are into Nazi shit, like, are are generally white, and they're generally, like, kind of appropriating from African-American culture even though they're Nazis, like it's a thing that goes on and it's sort of occluded and it's sort of like, um, not as overt as you see it in like a lot of non-Nazi white people subculture, but like, it's still surprising that if these people are surf Nazis, that they're fucking just like rocking out to run DMC on the beach. But regardless, we have this incredible, like, I feel like I keep using the word atmospheric, but there's this just, this beautifully shot, like, atmospheric scene where for the first time we fully see the titular Lost Boys, like, vamp out, their, like, eyes turn red and their teeth grow into fangs, and then they go and they, like, kill all these, uh, surf Nazis and eat their blood, I guess. Um, and there's a great line from, uh, from David where he's like, now you know what you are, Michael. So, now you know what we are, now you know what you are. Never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. And like, honestly, fucking, uh, like, if being a vampire in this movie is kind of a metaphor for being gay, and these vampires are actively, like, seeking out Nazis to kill, like, I think that's awesome. I I think that's cool. Like, you gotta kill somebody, might as well fucking kill Nazis. Uh, yeah, so he gives that little speech, uh, to David, and he's like, all four of them are just like backlit, cresting a ridge on the beach, and they look so fucking cool. Um, we find out that David wanted Star to kill Michael. He was supposed to be her first, but um, she couldn't do it because she likes him. And so we see that the stakes kind of explicitly are heterosexuality. Um, I have a note that says Frog Brothers in military gear and BMXs. Um, they're like riding their BMX bikes. Um, speaking of which, dude, there is. I don't even want to name it yet, because maybe I won't 
do it, but there's a classic film that is about BMX bikes that I, I fully intend to do this season on this show because holy shit, it's incredible. Uh, we see Grandpa putting a bunch of stakes, like giant, like six foot tall stakes in the ground to make a fence, um, which may or may not be foreshadowing. Um, they go to the hotel that has fallen into the earth um, in the daytime where all the vampires are asleep, and I think they kill uh, Alex Winter, actually, Alex Winters. They kill that one. I think he's like the little vampire that is easiest to kill, but everybody freaks out, and the vampires are hanging from the ceiling, and it's scary, and they have gross feet that hang from the ceiling, and um, we get some, like, brother stuff where, like, Sam is like, you might be a vampire, but you're still my brother. Um, and then they're like, shouldn't they sleep in coffins? And somebody's like, I think this cave is one giant coffin, which is pretty badass. Um, David tries to grab Sam so that he can't leave, which like, again, if we're using vampirism as homosexuality, then it's sort of like, um, the tension there is really the like possibility of Sam being tainted by the taint of homosexuality. I feel like taint is a word that we just can't use anymore. Um, and I don't know if that's really true, because Sam seems like kind of like the gayest out of everybody. But, um, which maybe that's a system of metaphor that's going on that I haven't quite cracked yet. I don't know. What the fuck do I know? Um, <laughs> the Frog Brothers, they like, they get in the car and the Frog Brothers are like, we don't ride with vampires. <laughs> and Sam's like, all right, then stay here. And they're like, okay. They like confer for a second and they're like, okay, we do now. Um, and then... It's still daytime, and they killed one of the vampires, so they know that it's going to be the fucking showdown tonight, right? Because the vampires are going to be pissed when they wake up when the sun goes down. Um, and so they're, like, prepping. They, like, interrupt a baptism to steal water. And then one of the frog brothers, like, raises a fist in solidarity to the people who are in the process of having their child baptized um, as a greeting and a thank you. Um, they have camel all over their faces. They put a bunch of, like, holy water and garlic in a bathtub. And then the vampires show up, and they want to what happens? Where's the mom at this point? I think maybe the mom and Max are on a date again. Right. And they like, Sam is like, grandpa, I think the widow Johnson said you needed to come over at seven instead of eight. And he's like, Oh, did we have a date tonight? And he's like, I guess so. Cause you're supposed to be over at like seven. And the, the grandpa's like, great, I'll go to that. And so, uh, they have the house to themselves. So they have time to like fill the bathtub with fucking holy water and garlic and shit. And like, do they make other traps? I feel like that maybe is the only trap that they make. They, like, make a big show of doing a bunch of prep, but they may not actually have that much fucking prepped. Why am I swearing so much right now? It just happened. Um, they push a vampire into... Oh, yeah, and one of the things the Frog Brothers say is they're like, no vamp goes the same. Like, some vamps explode, some vamps implode. Sometimes it's going to be bright, whatever. And so we get to see a bunch of different vampire deaths. And so... Um, like, main non-Alex Winter, blonde, babe, vampire. Uh, he comes up to the bathroom where they're hiding, and they try to, like, garlic him. He's like, garlic doesn't work, dummies. And they're like, oh, well, this holy water. And they shoot, I'm not reenacting this scene very well, but they shoot him with holy water, and he's like, ah! And his, like, skin is all, like, bloody and fucked up. And then he's, like, going to kill them, but they throw him into the bathtub of holy water, and then he, like, gets, like bubbly and he explodes and then the pipes explode and then he's dead and then the dark hair vampire one who I feel like is in other stuff I should know that actor's name but I really it's just not my forte knowing the name of actors or the names of actors um 
they wind up, I think they shoot him with a crossbow into the stereo and then the stereo turns on and like loud music happens as he's like jerking like a marionette while he's dying in the, the stereo and Sam is like death by stereo and I think at least one band has named themselves that. I feel like saw some punk band a million years ago called like Death by Stereo or Death by Audio or something and I feel like there have been enough bands with names similar to that that I get confused about which one is which. Anyway, Death by Stereo and then the only vamp that's left as far as we are aware is fucking David and David is like apparently he's more powerful than the other vampires because he's doing some like invisible like fucking with Michael like he's like kind of zooming in and chopping him up and then zooming away and we can't even really see him and then we see him like perched up on a rafter up in the like uh, taxidermy supplies shit. And he's like, I wanted you to join us, Michael. Like I wanted you to be one of us. I'm so like sad about it. He may not say that in those words, um, but they're like zooming, like they sort of get into like a grapple and they're like zooming across the, <clears throat> they're like zooming across the what is it like they're up at the level of the raptors they're like up way high and they're just like zooming from one side of the room to the other and crashing into the back and like whacking each other into the wall and then eventually David like or Michael like spins it around so David gets impaled on um I don't know what kind of animal maybe like an elk skull he gets impaled on some like antlers from some kind of animal that's stuck up on the wall um and he dies and then he's dead and he's like they like, the camera like lingers pretty lovingly on his face after he dies. And it is like, it is legitimately beautiful. Like, uh, what's his name? His name was Jack something in 24. Uh, what's the actor's name? I can't really, I said it before. Anyway, um, yeah, totally blanking. He's like super beautiful at this age and he's like such a beautiful dead kid. And then, um, forget why exactly but Max comes over and he's like I can't believe you killed my boys and the mom is like what the fuck is going on and he's like Lucy I always wanted you to be the mom of our family so you could be like vamp mom and in case like you didn't figure it out and honestly I feel kind of dumb for not figuring this out for so long but um I didn't put it together until I seen this movie like a million billion times. Um, we're doing a Peter Pan thing, right? Like Max, the video store owner, is the head vampire because everybody hasn't turned back yet. Um, I should have mentioned that. Everybody hasn't turned back yet. Max shows up. They're like, I guess we didn't kill the head vampire. Who the fuck is the head vampire? Dude, it's fucking Max. And not only that, but those boys who have been beautiful vampires the whole time are the lost boys who have been turned by Max, much like Peter Pan turned regular Lost Children into capital LB Lost Boys, um, Lost Boys, I guess. I don't know. It's like a good move. Turns out we were doing Peter Pan the whole time as long as well as we were doing vampire gay stuff movie. Um, and then he's gonna kill everybody. He's like gonna turn Sam unless Lucy agrees to become a vampire and be like vamp mom for the family, even though I guess all of his vamp sons are dead now. Um, and, um, yeah, Lucy's like, you're all crazy. What the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, uh, vampire stuff. And then grandpa busts through the wall with his truck full of the stakes that he was building a giant fence out of. 
Um, one goes through Max, he dies, everybody unvamps, um, and then you get, like, one of the, you know, what is this, the fourth iconic moment in this movie, the fifth? One of the, like, iconic closing lines to a movie ever. One of the best endings for a movie ever. Grandpa, like, gets out of his truck, which he's just driven through his fucking wall, because I guess telepathically he knew that Max was in there, about to turn his daughter into a vampire, and I guess his, his grandchildren as well. He, he, like, drives his truck through the wall, fucking kills the head vampire. He gets out of the truck, he's, like, he goes to the fridge to get a soda, and then he goes, one thing I never could stand about living in Santa Carla, it's all the damn vampires. Alright truck nuts, alright dick enthusiasts, that's the end of the episode, and as the world gets worse every day, don't forget we get to be okay with these fascists choke on the fruit of the hate that they braid to their lives are the only thing keeping them warm while they're chained to their bricks on the floor of the bay. My body's broken, no, I ain't joking, and I still don't have any money, and nothing's working, I'm stuck. This one is by Tender Defender. Please be gayer. Please figure out a way to be more trans for me. Abenaki people who are still here and who have been here for at least 12,000 years longer than anyone of European descent.